fake. Their final judgment. But more horrible than the crime that has been purported to have been committed by one man, and more horrible than the crime of blowing up a building in Oklahoma City, more horrible than any crime that you could think of, is the crime that is committed by people just like you at every chapel and every Sunday when people who call themselves Christians sit and have the Word of God broken before them and the truth expounded. For you see, there's a danger at the Master's College. There's a danger when you sit under men of God like John MacArthur and in my case, Charles Stanley. And you absorb truth. And you fill out little nice little notes. And you fill out great little outlines in the margin of your Bible. And you hear the truth. But you never apply it. And one day, you and I will stand before the judge to give an account for the truth, the search for truth that we have been barked upon in this journey called the Christian life. We will give an account for the truth that we've heard and we will be judged by the truth that we have applied. For you see, if you hear the truth, but don't apply it. You haven't learned it. And if you know the truth and don't apply it, you haven't learned it. But every morsel of truth that you and I have been exposed to, we are accountable for. And one day, we will answer to what we've done with it. That's a scary thought. Some of you might consider leaving another college or skipping more than the allotted number of chapels. Because you will continue to hear the truth. Your decision is, do I hear it? Do I write it down? Do I stuff it in a notebook? Do I put it in the margin of my Bible? Or am I willing to take what I know is the truth and apply it? God is not going to give an accounting for how much you know. He's concerned about how much have you applied. Will you see, young people? And us older people, we have greatly been overexposed to truth. And we have greatly underapplied that same truth. And two things come when there's an overexposure to truth and an underapplication of truth. One is that you develop a hard heart. And for some of you, there may be a hardness of heart. But the filter just keeps bringing in the truth. And you keep just registering it down. Look how much I know. But for some of you, it may even go more serious than that. That hard heart may develop into spiritual pride. Spiritual pride. Oh yes, I go to the Master's College. Oh yes, I sit under the teaching of John MacArthur. Oh yes, I sit under some of the most infamous knowledgeable and skillful spiritual men that teach Bible. Oh yes, I know. But if you hear the truth and never apply it, you haven't learned it. And if you know the truth and don't apply it, you haven't learned it. And you and I will stand before the judge to give an account for the truth 
to which we've been exposed, but more importantly, the truth which we have allowed God through His Holy Spirit to build into our lives. Knowing the truth does not effect change. Applying the truth changes men, changes women, changes campuses, changes churches, changes nations, and glorifies God. If I were to ask you this morning how many sermons you've ever heard, most of us would never even be able to begin to count. How many pages of notes and little notebooks in your student organizer have you filled out already this fall at chapel? How many nice little things that all start with the same letter? How many little cute little things you've diddled in the side of your Bible? God does not give us truth just to write it down, just to store it. He gives us truth in order to change us and to glorify Himself. Truth is not given for us to pat a speaker on the back and say, Hey, great job this morning, preach. Hey, your message really hit home. And the preacher should ask the question, Well, what are you going to do about it? Not just thank you, thank you, thank you. God does not give us truth to exalt men. He does not give us truth to put into our brains and just store it there to be spit out at a later date. God gives us truth to radically change ourselves. What have you done with the truth to which you've been exposed? What have you done? Because one day you will give an account to the judge and there will be a verdict. And if you were to stand before God this morning... Would you be guilty of hearing the truth and not applying it? Or would he say, well done, thou good and faithful servant? If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. And if you have a piece of paper, I say this hesitantly, a piece of paper and a pen, you might want to jot down a few notes this morning. Because if God is interested in us applying truth, building truth into our lives, that's the reason He gives it to us. How then do we do that? Psalm 51, a psalm you're very familiar with, beginning in verse 1. Be gracious to me, O God, according to Thy loving kindness. According to the greatness of Thy compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned. And done what is evil in thy sight, so that thou art justified when thou dost speak and blameless when thou dost judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, thou dost desire... What's the next word? Come on, what's the next word? Truth. Where? In the innermost being. And in the hidden part, thou wilt make me know wisdom. God desires truth to be built into our innermost being. Turn over to Psalm 119. Another passage you're very familiar with. Psalm 119. 
Beginning in verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure by keeping it according to thy word? With all my heart I have sought thee. Do not let me wander from thy commandments, thy truth, thy word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against thee. God desires truth to be built in our innermost being. Truth. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall what? Come on. Set you free. Are you free this morning because you know the truth? Oh yes, you're, you're free from the power of sin. You're free from the penalty of sin. You are, and I am, the righteousness of Christ. We are clothed in holy clothing. But are we free? Are we free? If God's interested in building truth into our lives, how do we do that? How do we do that? I want to give you some points this morning. They all begin in the first two sections with the letter D. And the first point that we're going to look at is the problem of building truth into my life. There is a problem of building truth into my life. And that problem is this. We hear the truth. We write some notes down. We're impressed by the Spirit. You need to do something about that. Oh, that was just for me this morning. And there's a problem with building truth. And the main problem that we have is that there is a deceiver out there who wants to keep us from building that truth into our life. Because he knows that when we build the truth and we apply the truth and it becomes a part of us, we will be free. We will be changed. And so Satan will come against you and me with everything that he has to keep us from manifesting God's Word and truth into our lives. And the first D is delay. The first D is delay. Do you remember what you heard in your sermon Sunday morning? Some of you, it was like, wow, this is awesome. I need to do this. This was just for me. Oh, God, thank you for speaking to my heart. I need to do something about that. And so you come back to campus. And before long, the phone begins to ring. Some friends in the residence hall come by and they say, Hey, you want to go out and throw some Frisbee? You want to go get some ice cream? You want to go to a movie? And with good intentions, we get sidetracked, not by anything major, an earthquake doesn't happen. Somebody didn't come into the dorm with a machine gun and shoot you. Satan suddenly brings little delays. Or we get busy doing homework. That's why we're here, aren't we? To, to learn the truth. And so instead of applying truth, we learn truth. And God's not interested in you putting more in. He's interested in you living more out. His priority is that you apply it. Not just learn it. But then there's a second D. There's a second D. Deception. Deception. You see, Satan will come to you. Much like the story of the little elephants. You know how, have you ever been to a circus and seen all the elephants? And you see that they're tied up by a rope with a little bitty wooden stake in the ground? You know how they train those elephants? Because your mind says that elephant can walk away. But the elephant doesn't. 
When that little elephant is a baby, they put a steel chain around his legs with sharp metal objects with a rope into a telephone pole, into the ground. And when that elephant hits that point where the tugging starts, the rope and the chains cut into his leg and he feels pain. And over a period of time, the elephant is conditioned that when he feels that tug, he knows there's going to be pain. And so he stops. And Satan has you and me so deceived that we feel like, hey, I know it's the truth, but... I can't apply that. I mean, there's no hope. I can't overcome that. I can't break away from that habit. It doesn't matter what happens. I can't be victorious. It's just something I'm going to have to live with. And after all, God's going to forgive me anyway. He knows I can't be perfect. And Satan, who is the great deceiver, comes to you and me and puts that little chain on our leg and says, See, you can't do it. And so we are deceived into thinking that we cannot apply truth to our lives. But there's a third D. Delay, deception, defeat. When you begin to apply truth to your life, Satan will orchestrate some kind of a little test for you. Hoping that you will fall flat on your face. And you say, see, it doesn't work. There's no use trying. Here I am, God, 155th time this week, same thing. Ever felt that way? Yeah. Satan will orchestrate something to cause you to defeat, be defeated in your commitment to applying truth. Because he knows that when you get defeated, you then get discouraged. And there's a steamroller effect that starts now. You suffer a setback in building truth, you get discouraged. You think, what's the use? I can't do this. And then the next D comes along, and that's doubt. God, can I really overcome this? God, can I really apply this? God, can I really do something with this? There's defeat. There's discouragement. There's doubt. And they begin to steamroll down that hill. And we give up. And we begin to digress in our spiritual lives. We've heard the truth. We've got it packed up here. But we're not applying it to our lives. And so, we get spiritually proud or our heart begins to harden because we've had an overexposure, an underapplication. And we just sit in our comfort zone and go back to church the next week or go back to chapel the next week or go back to Bible study the next week and take down more notes And say, yeah, I need to do that. And the same thing happens. You have the delay, the deception, the defeat, the discouragement, the doubt, and the digression. And we can have a whole gymnasium full of people that look like Christians on the outside. And they have the right thing to say. And they know the right thing to do. And they go on mission trips. And they live for Jesus. But they are so enslaved inside. And so rendered powerless in who they are in Christ. That there is no victory. There is no freedom. And Jesus said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And the last thing Satan wants is for you and I to be free. Well, that's the problem. That's the problem of building truth into our lives. What are the practical 
plans. What are the plans that we can use to build truth into our lives? Turn to Psalm 42. Psalm 42. It's a psalm that you're all familiar with. Psalm 42. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for Thee, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul doth long for me. You know the chorus, don't you? Let's sing it together. And I want you to sing it as a prayer. Is this your heart's desire? Is it your heart's desire this morning? Is it just to put truth here or is it to put it here? As the That's your real desire? time is a prayer to him. plan of building truth into our lives begins with a desire. A desire. You alone are my heart's desire. Truth won't just pop into your mind and be built into your life. You've got to have a desire for it. What are you hungry for this morning? What are you thirsty for? What is your heart's greatest desire? Is it Him? Is it Him? You see, in order to build a skyscraper, you must set a foundation. And it's a different kind of foundation that must be laid for other than for what you would use for a tent. A tent doesn't need much of a foundation. A skyscraper does. And you can live your life and just be Joe Cool and wander through life and live. And when you're 75 or 80 or whatever time you die, you die. And not have much of a foundation. We've got plenty of people walking around like that and they're empty and they're hollow and they're dead inside. 
But if you want to be a man or a woman who is mighty in spirit and godly in character, there must be a foundation that can hold the character of God. And it begins with a desire. But it's not enough just to have a desire. There's another step. Decision. A decision. I will build truth into my life. Lord Jesus, will You do in me what You need to do so You can do through me what You want to do? Lord Jesus, take this principle, take this truth, take it from my head, put it in my heart, let me live it out. Let me experience Your freedom. For You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. It begins with a desire, and then it means that you make a decision. Now, many of you remember the president of the student body here last year, Scott. And Scott was in love with Denise. And they courted, and they had this wonderful romance, and he proposed to her in the airport. You know the story, don't you? But as long as Scott had this desire, oh, I want to marry Denise, oh, I love her, oh, I want to marry her, as long as he had that desire, they would never be married. He had to take that desire one more step and say, I choose you because God has selected you to be my wife. And so in that airport, as she came off the plane, Denise is coming out and Scott comes up. And right there in the middle of that concourse, will you marry me? He took the desire and made a decision and acted upon it. But there's not enough just to have a desire. It's not enough to make a decision. You've got to digest the truth. You say, digest? What does that have to do with anything? That's what you eat. Didn't the prophet take the Word of God and eat it? And it became like what? Honeycomb. God expects us not to just desire the truth, not to just decide we're going to build it in, but we've got to digest it. You see, we could go to Sicily restaurant and we could sit there at that table all night long and smell the garlic bread and smell all of the smells of the Italian food. And we could sit there and look at the menu all night long. But would sitting there and being a part of the ambiance fill you up? No. I desire Italian food. I'm going to Sicily. And when I get to my table, I'm going to look at the menu. And then I've got some options. And then I have to decide what it is that I want to order. But see, if I desire it and then make a decision and they bring my food out to the table, I've got to do something else before that food will ever fill me. I can stare at it all night long. And it will never fill me. I've got to begin to eat it. And let it become a part of me. And it's the same thing with the truth of the Word of God. Desire, decision, digestion. Don't just put it in here, let it get to here. And then the decision to apply it. The digestion means you begin to build it into your life. But then there's a fourth D. A fourth D. A definite application. A definite application. 
Well, you see, when God puts a finger on a truth and puts a finger on an area of your life, there is already a definite application. There's a definite area in which He wants to work. And you've got to decide, what am I going to do with the truth that God has put on my heart? What am I going to do with it? A definite application. And you're going to have to plan ahead about how you're going to apply that truth. Guys, for most of us, our thought life is one of the real struggles. You want to know what a definite application is of keeping a pure heart and a pure mind? Don't go to certain movies. Don't listen to certain music. Don't... And I'm not going to be naive even at the Master's College. Don't look at certain magazines. You've got to make a definite application. If you have the trouble with... Uh, Roman fingers or Italian hands or tonsil hockey or some of the other things that you go do when you go out on a date. Don't drive down West Placerita Canyon Road to where the little things are and find some little deserted road to go watch the lights of the city. You don't set yourself up. You make a definite application that you stay away from it. That's how you apply the truth to your life. But then there's a fifth thing. A daily evaluation. It's one thing to build truth into your life. But you must be able to evaluate how you're doing. How you're doing. For you see, building truth into your life is a process. It's not a product. The Christian life is a process. We are all in the process of becoming. And spiritual growth is defined by John MacArthur as matching your position, who I am in Christ, with your possessions, what I have in Christ, with my practice, how I live. And the decreasing frequency of sin is an indicator of spiritual growth. If you don't believe it came from Dr. MacArthur, go and read or listen to his whole series on Ephesians. It's all through there. Spiritual growth is the decreasing frequency of sin. Who I am, what I have, how I live. But there's another step, a sixth thing. Discussion. Discussion. One of the best ways to build truth into your life is to have accountability. Have accountability. And what do I mean by that? You've heard that word. That circulates all over this college. We are accountable for each other. Not because I see you doing something wrong. It's wrong in the Bible. Therefore, I'm going to put it on you. But out of a heart of love, we interact and confront and we hold each other accountable. Not from spiritual pride, but from a heart of a servant. Who have you given the freedom in your life to poke around and ask questions? How's your quiet time? How are you doing building truth into your life? Do you have a problem in this area? Give them the freedom to ask any question and then ask another question. This is what I have to do. Some people hold me accountable in different areas and they'll ask me a question. And they'll say, well, how are you doing? And I'll say, okay. they say, are you lying? See, I know there's going to be certain nights that I have to call certain people, even when I'm on the road, to give an account. Who is holding you accountable for building the truth into your life? There's another one, number seven. Discipline. Basically, that means that you are willing to assume and accept the responsibility for building the truth into your life, and you're willing to say no to things that prohibit you from actually doing that. Discipline. Number eight, dependence. Dependence where? 
Dependence, not upon your friends necessarily, but that's part of it. Dependence, not upon your own desire, but that's part of it. Dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Look at John chapter 16. John chapter 16, verse 7. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper shall not come to you, but I But if I go, I will send Him to you. Then look at verse 13. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak. Dependence upon the Holy Spirit. The ninth thing is determination. Determination. Satan will attack. Be ready. He does not want you to build truth into your life. So get ready for a battle. And any time there's a spiritual battle, and any time you look in Scripture, does the Word tell you to go out there and take Satan on head on? It tells you to put on your armor and do what? Stand firm. But be ready, because the more God wants to develop the truth into your life, the more there will be attacks. Be ready for it. And just because you fail, just because you fall, just because you don't always live in the truth that you mean that you've lost doesn't mean you've lost. I had a professor in college that used to say this, experience is the best teacher, but the tuition's a lot higher. Learn from your failure. And increase your dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Increase your discussion with other people to hold you accountable. But realize that you've got to be determined. And the tenth thing, dismiss. When you get the negative thoughts, when you get the defeated thoughts, when you get this idea of doubt and deception from Satan, say, Satan, I have made a commitment to build truth into my life. You have no part of my life. Leave. Dismiss the doubt, the fears, the the frustration, the discouragement. Dismiss that. It's not of God. It's coming straight from the pit of hell. But there are three practical results of building truth into your life very quickly. Three practical results. We've looked at the the problem of building truth, the plan, but what are the practical results? And the first is this, the peace of God. The peace of God. He Himself is our peace. And when we build more of the truth into our life, we shall know the truth, the truth shall set us free. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And He said Himself... I am your peace. The second thing is this. The power of God. The power of God is a practical result. If you want to look at a verse, look at Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4, verse 12. The power of God. For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The power of God comes from the Word. The Word is the truth. The truth applied and built into your life gives you power. The power of the Almighty. The reason God doesn't give most of us power is because He knows He can't trust us with it because we haven't built truth into our life to the extent that He knows that we'll use it right. And then the third practical result... Prosperity in life. Prosperity in life. Turn to Psalm 1. Psalm 1. Another passage you're all familiar with. The peace of God, 
the power of God, the prosperity of God. And I'm not talking about name it, claim it, send in your prayer cloth and you'll get blessings from some TV guy. I'm talking about prosperity in your soul. And yes, the other things may come. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit at the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. If you hear the truth, but never apply it, you haven't learned it. And just as a jury will render a decision in this search for truth, one day you and I will stand before the judge and he will render the verdict on what we've done in building truth into our lives. Will you stand?